Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Nineteen ninety four was, in retrospect, the end of an era. Billy began the year continuing his seventeen month tour in support of what would be his last studio album, River of Dreams. And in at least one interview he hinted that while this wasn't a farewell, it would likely be his last long tour, possibly ever. It was also the year that he and Christy Brinkley finalized their divorce. To the public it seemed sudden. After all, Brinkley painted the River of Dreams album cover that came out the year before. His new venture this year would be the first face-to-face tour with Elton John. While it set the stage for tours to come, it also harkened back to the 1970s for both artists. That was the decade they both made it big and drew inevitable comparisons for their images as piano players. And on a personal note for us, 1994 was also the year uh, Michael and I saw Billy multiple times. We both caught him on the River of Dreams and face-to-face tours. So join us as we do a year-in-review of 1994. It's a deeper insight into a pivotal year for Billy and a trip down memory lane for the both of us. So, yeah, man, 1994. um, You know, I mean, looking back on it, to me... You know, when Stormfront came out, I didn't know that Stormfront came out. That was an album that just magically appeared in the house one day um, as I was listening to Billy Joel. Um, River of Dreams, which came out the year before, was for me, that was my album. You know, that was the one where you heard it was coming out and you counted down the days and you went to the mall to get it. Um, And so I had no... um, you know, perspective about what it was like to do an album tour and a, a cycle around something like that. Uh, you know, as we said in the in the intro there, I saw him twice. You saw him three times that year. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty busy year. And, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but it was it was, you know, a, a cap to a lot of things that were going on. Yeah, it was. This was, you know, I did, definitely didn't know it at the time that this was going to be the last studio album of uh, pop songs. I don't think I was following his interviews so closely yet. Uh, so I wasn't really aware that he was seriously talking about not doing these marathon tours anymore. In retrospect for me, when River of Dreams came out the year before, I was going on 14. So I was a little more aware yeah. of the scale of it and the marketing push behind it and everything like that. So I, I think the hype machine behind this album was a little more visible to me. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, well, let's start in January then. And he kicks off the year with a pair of shows at the Nassau Coliseum, the 2nd and the 4th, which was actually the the latter of four shows, and all he did the 29th and he did New Year's Eve there. So he was was settled into his hometown at that point. Yeah, he was. And I know he's always talked about how New York uh, is special, obviously, for him. And so it kind of, I think, probably helped him set the tone for the tour and the rest of the year because he was on the road most of this year and so it's probably felt good for him and the band to get a good start in front of a hometown crowd before they really got real deep into this yeah for sure now i've seen billy three times the first time was at nassau coliseum not in one of these first shows uh it was in march when i saw him um so Mm -hmm. i don't have maybe and maybe you can speak to this a little more because you've seen him more the only uh, two other times i saw him was with elton john um, and both of those times were in Philly. But I have to say that when he played at Nassau Coliseum, he talked so much. He had such a great time. He was he was joking around with the audience. And I'll get into that a little more when we get to, you know, get to March or so. But it was sure. I mean, what was your when you when you saw him and you saw him out in the Midwest? Um, you know, did you have a good sense of how much stage banter he was doing? If it felt yeah, I or think casual, he was. Yeah, I think it was pretty loose and pretty casual. I think the Midwest mm-hmm. and Detroit, especially has always been a really good market for him. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've heard him compare audiences to Detroit crowds before. So that kind of made me think he he has an affection for Michigan, which is always nice. But yeah, yeah, he, he was, I remember him being real loose and just having a lot of fun and still at this point working the stage quite a bit. I remember there being quite a few keyboards around the stage and right. still in him playing guitar quite a bit and, you know, things like that. So I, I remember it being still a pretty animated and energetic show. Yeah. And the banter was certainly there. Great. So, uh, and you saw him in, in January. So go on, uh, tell me a little more about that show. You saw him in Auburn yeah, Hills. Yeah, so 
so this was would have been the second time I saw Billy. First time was back on the Stormfront tour. Mm-hmm. Um, this was January 14th, and I saw him at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And I just remember um, the excitement of hearing you know, some of the new songs live and having only seen him once before, there was a good chance that I was going to see a lot of new songs for me. And this show definitely dis- didn't disappoint. I'm looking at the set list now. Um, and this is fairly typical of uh, the River of Dreams set list. Uh, mm-hmm. We had No Man's Land, Pressure, Ballad of yeah. Billy the Kid, Lullaby, River of Dreams, Angry Young Man, My Life, Just the Way You Are, You May Be Right, Allentown, I Go to Extremes, An Innocent Man, down East or Alexa, Goodnight Saigon, Scenes mm-hmm. from an Italian Restaurant, We Didn't Start the Fire, Still Rock and Roll to Me, with a little throw-in of old-time rock and roll for Bob Seger, who mm-hmm. is a Detroit boy. <laughs> and then we had Only the Good Die Young, A Matter of Trust, Big Shot, and then Piano Man, which was still the closer at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun show. If, you know, looking at the set list, I think some of my favorites were probably I Go to Extremes because I just love that song live and that's such a high energy song. And Ballad of Billy the Kid was a favorite of mine. And I don't think I've seen him do that song too often. So that was a real treat as well. Right. Yeah, you know, looking at these set lists and I'll get into mine in a little while. And he did that into the, I was I was surprised that the Ballad of Billy the Kid, that, yeah, that must have been the song, that, that mm-hmm. tour that year because he did it in the face-to-face tours too when you think there's more pressure to keep it to the hits because you're you know you're splitting and you're playing for potentially half someone else's audience right yeah that's a fair point and that by this point that song was so removed from when it was such a regular in the set list i feel right you know i think he brought it out on the different tours but this yeah it was an interesting choice to have this as a uh, as a mainstay on this in this set list for sure yeah enjoyable certainly and a, a pleasant surprise we'll say <laughs> agreed agreed yeah. And I like that, you know, I'm, I've been, you know, spoiled, I can say, but, you know, so used to, you know, you may be right closing out the sets for the last several years and, yeah. you know, having it in the number nine slot, you know, kind of right in the middle of the set. I like that the uh, typical encore songs are kind of mixed up a little more. Right. Yeah. When you look at, you know, I'm looking at the one I saw and, you know, to yours. And when you look at them, uh, you know, in comparison to the garden shows now, you see how they were a little more lockstep right now. Uh, but yeah. you, get to, you know, see, you know, while a lot of the songs are the same, they're certainly in different orders. Like as you were reading yours down, I'm looking at mine. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's, it's the same, but it's definitely not. <laughs> yeah. It's a little out of order. And, and I, I think this was a, I think he did two nights in, um, I think it was January 14th and 15th. And, you know, if I was in my twenties at the time, I'm sure I would have gone to both nights, but when you're uh, 14, 15 years old and, you know, really, counting on your parents to let you go to the show and take you to the show. You're, you're just super happy with whatever you can get at that point. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, especially we were both young. Sure. It was your second concert, but yeah. Yeah. Just hearing them live, just, you know, it was like an adventure, you know, you wanted to, you you wanted to get these mystical tickets because, you know, it was a freaking Charlie and the chocolate factory, man. Like, you know, (laughs) it really was. And I, you know, Back in the day, and I still prefer them because it's a bit of a memento, but, you know, you had physical tickets. These days, it's mostly electronic entry. You know, now tickets don't often don't go on sale quite as far in advance. But I remember, you know, I would have tickets for six, nine months before a concert and you got to hold on to those tickets. And, (laughs) you know, I remember just being so nervous I would lose them and they would just something would happen and. You know, there's no replacing tickets that are, you know, that you lose. And uh, I remember always being nervous about that as a kid. And and as a matter of fact, I still have that ticket stub to this day. You know, I think I I was as you were saying that uh, when I was in college, I had all my ticket stubs taped up on the wall. And then I did that my first year. And then when I took them down, I just uh, I put packing tape over the entire collection and like did like a cheap man's uh, laminate. Uh, But yeah, I definitely had those. I absolutely had those two Billy Joel tickets back then. And yeah, it was it's true. You got them so far in advance. Uh, When I was in high when I was in college and I had uh, we got tickets to go see Ozzy. And I was like, oh, my Mm -hmm. God, this is this is no good. Like this place is a mess. These are going to get lost. So I, I just 
tape them to the wall in the living room. <laughs> it's an Aussie <laughs> no tickets. Kidding. Do not touch. <laughs> wow. And like I just checked on them every single day because I had like I think like five or six tickets for a whole bunch of us, and I was like, you know, the, the keeper of the tickets. I was like, oh man, really? That's a lot of pressure. You picked me. Have you seen the way I dress right now? I can't put myself together. <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned Ozzy because uh, Jen and I had tickets for his No More Tours. Two or I forget what he called this last tour. Yeah, and we had them for maybe a year, year and a half. Oh wow! It got postponed once and then ultimately canceled. Yeah. So I still have these tickets for a show that never took place. <laughs> yeah, I have. I'm um, sitting on tickets for Tony Bennett right now. It was supposed to have happened last weekend. Waiting on that too, but mm. well, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Funny, you know, and it, you know, it's 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 kind of funny, you know, talking about Ozzy with the you know no more tours and you know Kiss is done you know, more feral tours that I can count. Uh, yes. you know, it's just funny that, you know, Billy just hinted just a little that this was going to be it, but he's never, he's never done yeah. the, Oh, you may never see me again. Better go get a ticket now. You know, he's never actually played that up, which was nice. Even though he's talked about not putting out albums or anything. Yeah. Agreed. And you know, nothing against Ozzy and kiss and all those bands who have done the farewell tours. Like, yeah. you know, Motley Crue just <laughs> retired five years ago and, here they are doing a tour with Death Leopard, you know, this year. And I don't know what the thought process is or why they do that. But mm. I always res- did respect the fact that Billy was always clear. He's like, I don't want to do these insanely long marathon tours. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to stop performing, but it's just not going to be grueling like I'm used to. Yeah. So, you know, I, he's always been pretty clear that he didn't want to totally stop, but he just he wanted to be home. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, when was his last when was his last daughter born? Was that uh, 2013? Yeah, 2013. I want to say maybe. So when that announcement came out, I, I linked it on Facebook and I wrote like in quotes as if it was Billy talking, you know, as Billy Joel expecting, you know, a new child. And the quote I made up was, no, no, guys, it's cool. I can still play on the weekends. I just can't go on tours anymore. Like, is it, you know, like what we would always say, yeah. to each, no, 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 it's, it's cool, man. I can still be in the band. Sure yeah. enough, what does he do? He plays once a month in his in his backyard. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is exactly perfect because, you know, these last couple of years he's been doing these stadium. I don't quite call them tours because it's like 15, 10 shows spread mm-hmm. out throughout a year, which isn't, again, it's not a grueling tour. So that's right. at the pace that makes sense for him. And I get it. You know, doing the garden residency, you know, now with two young kids at home, it totally, it's perfect because- yeah. I mean, he's super close to home. He rolls in the evening of the show and he's home before the parking lot's empty or, you know, the arena's empty at night. Yeah, yeah. But before I saw them, uh, there was the infamous uh, Grammys night of 1994. And I watched this one. And, you know. This is so good. Oh, the whole. This is another one, man. In retrospect. What a mess all night long. And again, I didn't watch the Grammys before that. I didn't know this kind of shenanigans was unheard of. You know, you, you yeah. were just watching, waiting for Billy. So yep. did, did you watch it that night? I did. Uh, I think I knew he was going to be on it. And I was mm-hmm. still, I think I was into like the award shows by then. Uh-huh. Know, it was like the Grammys and the American Music Awards and everything. So I mm-hmm. think I, I'm pretty sure I did watch it. I may even have a cassette tape of it laying around somewhere Ooh, yeah. still. But uh, it was the most passive aggressive middle finger to the TV execs that you could imagine. <laughs> it was just so, so well done. And uh, it was perfect. Yeah. Well, I want to back up. I want to talk about Bono real quick that night because yes. I remember that going down too. where Bono said that I, I, you know, it's so funny and I'll talk about this too when I get to uh, my show, but I don't, there's so many things I remember just slightly differently. So apparently what he said was, I'd like to give a message to the young people of America. We shall continue to abuse our position and F the mainstream. You know, we, you know, threw the, the F bomb out there. I don't remember him saying it just like that, but that's what it was. And I remember my mom just going, <gasps> like just that, that perfect gasp yeah. of like, I, cause yeah. he it got through man. And he said it so casually, like it wasn't the, I'm going to do through. it. I'm going to do it. It just rolled off his tongue. And yeah, yeah, Gary Stanley, yeah, I take full responsibility. I told him we were on cable. I remember the line as uh, they came back from commercial and Gary Shandling said, I just talked to Bono. He apologized. He said he thought he was on cable. I could have sworn that's what he said, just because the, the line stuck out in my head. Irish rockers U2 walked away with the Best Alternative Music Album Award for Zuropa. Bono's acceptance speech took the audience and the network by surprise. 
I think uh, I'd like to give a message to the young people of America, and that is we shall continue to abuse our position and f the mainstream. God bless you. There is that business of the F word. Well, I don't know. I, honestly, I didn't think about it too much, but um, maybe I should have. And uh, I'm heartily sorry for all the people I've offended. A little bit of context is uh, kind of what went down here. So there was the Bono situation. And then, you know, I, Frank Sinatra was uh, awarded like a Lifetime Achievement Award or yeah. something, some big award that he was given. And mid-speech, they they cut him off, cut the mic, brought the music up and <laughs> went to commercial mid-speech. The audience was collectively dumbfounded. Like everyone hates when you do that in general, but you don't cut off Frank. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, it's a shame. I wish I was older to have seen it happen live because it didn't register what was. I wasn't really paying attention to him. You know, I didn't have any capacity sure. for Frank Sinatra yet. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, whatever. Closer to Billy. <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah, yeah, he's so just talking. So then, just come up. Yeah, so then as you get into the performance, um, Billy is doing River of Dreams. It's him and the band. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the... The big section where, you know, now they usually go into another song for a little bit after Through the Promised Land. And then there's the big break where everything stops. It gets to that break. Billy pulls his wrist up, <laughs> looks at his watch and just into the mic. He goes, valuable advertising time going by. And then he says, dollars, dollars, dollars. Just very drawn out. And then he just looks towards the camera and smirks. Yeah. <laughs> and then goes right back into the tune. <laughs> Yeah, he oh yeah, he had such a grin on his face when he did it too. That was that was just the best part of it. Oh, uh, I love it. Yeah, actually let's let's play a little clip of that. Yeah. Valuable advertising time going by. Valuable advertising time going by. Dollars, dollars, dollars. <laughs> in the middle of the night, I'm walking in my sleep. Oh, man. Look. Listen, listen. If you're, when you're listening to this, just pause us. Find it. Yep. Watch it. It's great. Now, you know what else is funny about that? All right, I'm going to say this first, and I'm going to get to this. What a punk move, man. You know? Yeah. Uh, whatever, man. Sometimes I get defensive about being in the Billy Joel, but everybody's like, ooh, so lame. Like, dude, that's a punk yeah. move. That is a that is a That's punk, punk rock right move, there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, and I'm going to assume the same. It goes the same for the Grammys. But, you know, for Saturday Night Live, like, they have that stuff timed down to like yep. a nanosecond you can't screw like people have gotten musicians have been not invited back uh yep. not necessarily because they did something outrageous but because they went over time like yep oh yeah uh, like that's, uh, that's a big thing yeah, yeah. Lauren michaels was more pissed about elvis costello screwing up the timing than he was doing the whole stopping the song and starting another one if he had like somehow pulled that off in the same amount of time as right. less than zero you know lauren wouldn't have cared apparently but you know so not yeah. only is he really sticking it to them but mm -hmm. some producer was pulling his hair out when that happened. Like they just, you know, <laughs> it just yeah. threw the timetable off by 10 seconds, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah. And so this was actually also kind of twofold. There's an interview clip we're going to play in a second uh, from mm -hmm. Mark Allen, where he's asking Billy about the incident here. Yeah. And it uh, turns out that it was a combination of the Sinatra thing, but he was already a little pissed about things during rehearsal because as they're going through it, they basically come to him and they're like, hey, you need to chop 30 seconds off the song. Right. Which we know he doesn't like anyway. <laughs> right. And he's like, okay, so the song that you guys think is like good enough to be song of the year. Yeah. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> so that got under his skin. And then with what they did to Frank, he was just like, all right. That's it. Tell me about uh, your Grammy comment about valuable advertising time is, is ticking by. That must have obviously been about because of Sinatra, right? Well, the thought was there before the thing happened with Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. You know, at the rehearsals the day prior to the Grammys, we were asked to cut down the length of the song for TV time. I mean, they said, 
you know, we'd like you to get rid of 30 seconds. I said, didn't you guys just give me, like, a Grammy nomination for the greatest song in the world ever written this year, and now you're telling me it's 30 seconds too long? I said, okay, now it's TV. The nature of the Grammys is like any other TV show. It's cooked up by producers in order to sell advertising time to big money advertisers. So they can charge a lot of money for the advertising time and get big ratings. And so the timing was just perfect after they did that to Sinatra then, to, to make that comment. Well, at the rehearsal, I had actually stopped. You know, I, I usually do take a break in the middle of that song and just I kind of let it hang for a little bit. Now, they got all nervous about that when I did it at rehearsal. They said, oh, it's adding more time to it. We, we already chopped time off the front, chopped time off the ending. So I was, I thought it was very important that I hold on to that little hole in the middle of the song. Just that breath. Because it's a statement just to take a breath on TV. And I stretched it out after they did that to Sinatra as kind of a dare. Like, okay, now cut me off in the middle of my Grammy-nominated Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Album of the Year, Pop Vocal of the Year. You know, if, if, if those things were worth anything, and I didn't win anything that night, I, you know, as I suspected, I probably wouldn't. Because I don't think anybody goes in there thinking they're going to win. As I suspected, I said, let me just take this moment and see if this Grammy really means anything. Because if they cut the song off, I think they would have been kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Because they already did it to Sinatra. Yeah, oh, it was so and good. you know the performance <laughs> of the song itself was good. Yeah, but honestly, it would have just been another award show appearances had that not taken place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, have they, they do these all the time? And this was before, you know, as well. I guess what uh, early two thousands. It was just like, oh, who can do the most outrageous thing on one of these shows? You know, and now it's just right. passe. Now it's just like, well, they're going to do something. What are they going to do? You know, like nobody was doing right. That exactly. Yet. It's it, the pr- unpredictability, predictability. Exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Madonna and Britney Spears kiss. We're all like, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But uh, so this happened. It was March first. Was yeah. the Grammy Awards, and he, Billy was actually there because he was performing, and he was actually nominated for four awards that year. He did mm-hmm. not win any of them, but. <laughs> He was up for Album of the Year, Record right. of the Year, which is like Single of the Year, and for Song of the Year, both for R- The River of Dreams, and then also up for Best Pop Vocal Performance Male. Right. But in typical Grammy fashion, he did not win. <laughs> I think the last actual like award for a song or an album that he won mm-hmm. was for Glass Houses. Oh, was it? But he's, yep. he, all, he almost swept uh, for The Stranger, though, right? He won a handful on that on that record. Stranger did really good. And then uh, 52nd Street, I think he did really well. I think 52nd Street was record of the year. I'm going to have to look that up real yep. quick. Hold on. I'm knocking into stuff here. Man, this is this is so fun going go doing this year. Um it's it's uh, it's really firing the synapses, man. Like it's 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 really popping yes. memories and and they're just really unfolding for me again. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, yeah. looking at the date, this is the same week that you saw him. Yeah, I was just about to say. So real quick, yeah, the 70, 1979, 52nd Street got the Grammy of the Year. Uh, uh, album, Grammy for Album of the Year. Yeah, so I didn't even realize. It's so funny, man. You don't put these things together that I had just seen him five days before on television. And, you know, five days, I was going yeah, to see him yeah, live. You that's know. wild. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's what happens when you're in seventh grade, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pay attention to nothing, man. Um, yeah. No. Okay. So speaking of that, this is so funny. All right. So now I'm pulling up my set list. And there are things that I remember. I remember him doing Pressure. I yep. certainly remember him doing River of Dreams. I remember yep. him doing An Innocent Man because Crystal took the high notes. I remember Down yeah, Easter was, Alexa. Crystal's killing it on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Good Night Saigon, I remember. And I remember the party going on, although I couldn't remember what he played and, and that he ended with Piano Man. I don't remember uh, Angry Young Man. I don't remember scenes from an Italian restaurant. Billy the Kid, when I saw it, that sort of fired the synapse for me. And I yeah. kind of remembered that um, because I, I think even then it registered that this wasn't like one of the big hits. But he was so funny, that that whole show. Um so he's, he's, he picks up the accordion uh, for Down Easter Alexa. Now we know what he's going to play, you know. And yeah. he's just like, ah, I don't know how to play this thing. <laughs> Something to that effect. Like he's just, he's so messing with it for a minute, you know. And then he goes into it. And then he said he had a, and then, I, oh, you know, it's funny. I don't remember him doing A Hard Day's Night, but I really didn't know a lot of the Beatles yet. So he probably did it. And I was like, Dad, what's this song? And my dad's like, the Beatles, you know. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> 
and then uh, and then for Whedon to start the fire, he said he had a bet with somebody about whether or not he was going to forget the lyrics to this, whether or not he's going to forget the words, and like, oh, he's going to do Whedon start the fire. I know all the words, you know. <laughs> right. Um, you know, he always used to look. That was the thing. He would always look to Liberty. Liberty yeah. was notorious for mouthing the words during the show, during the songs. <laughs> and Liberty, like every others, knew the words to that. And so he, a lot of times he would actually look over to Liberty for the vocal cues. The pre-teleprompter t- right. cheat sheet was Liberty back then. <laughs> yeah, I remember going with binoculars too. And, and you watched Liberty with the binoculars and then you put the binoculars down and you could still see Liberty. <laughs> you could still see those arms yep. going. Um, and that was what was so cool. You know, he played to the back of the room. Yeah. And so if you're sitting in the upper level all all the way at the opposite end, you could still see how animated he was even yeah. that far away. Yeah, for sure. So you know, and, and this is and this was um, because it was in, indoors too. I, I suppose uh, you know people were behind the stage and there was yep. you know there was no jumbotron or anything. So yeah. you know it was all just what was there. And I I don't remember pressure being that early in the set, but it was okay. So the set list here was yep. No Man's Land, Pressure, Lullaby. Ballad of Billy the Kid, River of Dreams, Angry Young Man, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, My Life, Vienna, I Go to Extremes, An Innocent Man, Down Easter Alexa, Allentown, Good Night Saigon, Hard Day's Night, We Didn't Start the Fire, You May Be Right, and uh, Only the Good Die Young. And then the encore, and I don't remember this one either because it's one of my favorites, was Miami 2017 and then Piano Man. Oh, wow. So that was a freaking rocking show man that's a great set wow you got some nice ones i really yeah (laughs) i really did but i remember him running up to uh the second keyboard for pressure we were up in the nosebleeds but we were to the like almost directly to the right of the stage so you know we saw everyone's profile pretty much i think crystal was on my side so i could watch the the percussion as well and then when he got up to do when he went up to that keyboard um, for pressure, he was on, you know, he was kind of looking at us for that. I remember, uh, you know, he had the, yeah. the vets come out for um, uh, Goodnight Saigon. And, you know, what a, what a great effect for my first stadium show was, uh, the, you know, the, the lights go down and the sound of the helicopter comes up and they shine the spotlight around and around and around the stadium. Yes. Yeah. Amazing effect. Super simple lighting effect, but I mean, the visual and just hearing the chimes and the helicopter yeah. sounds, it really takes you in a, into a whole nother place there. I mean, it's very well executed. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, it's not fancy, but w- no, was it? Wow, was it effective? You know, agreed. Yeah, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the players on this tour. So oh, yeah. this was, um, there were quite a few different people on the River of Dreams tour than even the Stormfront tour. Uh, so Liberty DeVito was still in the band on drums, right? And you had Crystal Taliaferro on the auxiliary percussion, guitars, saxophone. She was a carryover from Stormfront, mm-hmm. as was Tommy Burns on guitar. Yeah. And then you also had uh, Dave Rosenthal. This was his first tour as mm-hmm. keyboard player. And then you had T-Bone Walk, who was, this was the the only tour he did with Billy, the uh, River of Dreams era. Um, T-Bone is a bass player, and you probably know him from one of two places. The uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates band, and he was also the house bass player for Saturday Night Live for many years as well. Oh, was he really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And T-Bone was the bass player, always with the hat. And then you had G.E. Smith. Yeah. The guitar player, G.E. Smith, was also in the Daryl Hall and John Oates band as well. Right. Is um, uh, David Rosen... Yeah, he is. David Rosenthal is still with with Billy now. And he's... uh, Is he like the musical... No, he's not the musical director, is he? Yeah, he is. I believe he is the musical director now. Yeah. There's a great um, interview I found with him, and he was talking about um, his synths and... You know, they kind of gave him, for his audition, he kind of had to recreate some of the sounds, you know, like pressure, things like that. Yeah, David really took a lot of care to get the sounds right. And he really tried to, Mm -hmm. you know, faithfully reproduce what was going on on the albums and the arrangements and the the parts and everything. He just seems like he took quite a bit of care into doing that right. Yeah, and you know... um, not only you know that that you're dealing with studio arrangements, but you know especially back then you were dealing with analog synthesizers. So, you know you couldn't just hit save on a setting. That could be affected by humidity. That yep. that one you know they were saying you know they say about the Moogs like gravity over over the years has an effect on those. Like right. you can't tune them the same. We have to retune them. Literally, they'll you know ten years later they won't sound the same. 
So yeah, yeah he had to really a different instrument. Yeah, he had yeah. to recreate stuff. This wasn't like, oh, let me get the DX9 and put it on number three and 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 put it to these settings, that kind of thing. So there's right. a lot that goes into right. that. Yeah. Back in '94, here, uh, just a couple days later after you saw him, Billy was actually on Larry King Live, mm-hmm. and this was the early announcement of the uh, face-to-face. 1994 tour with Elton John. So they didn't have dates lined up yet. They were still finalizing logistics of everything, but right here is where they let the cat out of the bag. Right. Here's a guest we wanted to do for a long, long time. Billy Joel takes time out from his worldwide tour to join us live from Minneapolis. I thank you very much for being with us. And we have a interesting announcement to make tonight. We got to got the I's and cross the T's, but you will be doing a concert tour with Elton John, right? We're trying to uh, get all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, Larry. Um, yes, uh, Elton and I are agreed in principle to do a tour this summer of stadiums uh, in the United States. Now, that, that's that got to be automatic once the ads start appearing. This is going to be a sellout. In something like this, who decides, like, who opens, who closes? I think it really uh, depends on where we are. and um, Like, for example... Uh, New York, you would close. I guess you know what we're we're, we're assuming that we're both going to close together. I uh-huh. think the way we're trying to work it out is that um, we may start playing together, and then he may do uh, his segment, or I may do my segment. Then there would be a break, and then uh, the other guy would do you know his set, and then we would end uh, together. We would both close, um, you know, playing each other's stuff. Yeah, I didn't see that one happen. Obviously, I heard about. It. Did you? Did you happen to watch that? I didn't. I, I don't think I made a habit of watching CNN much. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was maybe an MTV exception, yeah. guy back in in 1994. Yeah, I don't think I saw it until recently. You know, yeah, God bless YouTube. There's so much yeah. archival footage and interviews just with a couple right keystrokes, and that's where I first found it. So I I didn't even see this at all until recently. Right. I you know it seems to me. There was a there was even a shift in the way Billy spoke uh, in interviews. You know, in the seventies, I would say you know he was really still had that Long Island drawl. You know, was was really punchy. In the eighties, yeah. he was rising high, riding high. You know, I mean, you could kind of hear it. There was a little bit a bit of braggadocio in his voice. You know, whenever he did an yeah. interview, he was kind of peppy about it and stuff. Um, you know, in the nineties, around River of Dreams, he was he began to get a lot more reserved. Um, you could just hear the the tone in his voice is a little different. He would be a little more nasally, a little more subdued. You know, he'd still be joking around and stuff, but he wasn't as lively, yeah. I think. I think he was a little more introspective, too, and a little more philosophical in his approach. And I yeah. think that that was the same thing on the albums, too. Like River of Dreams, I think, is probably his most introspective and philosophical oh, for albums. Sure. And so it kind of makes sense that that's kind of where his headspace was at the time. Yeah, it was yeah very reserved and, you know. I mean, still fun, you know, still crack some good jokes, but that was sort of the beginning. What really made me chuckle as I've been listening to some of these mid-90s interviews here is uh-huh. um, specifically in two regions, when Billy would be in Europe, specifically mm-hmm. Germany or Australia and doing these interviews. Oh, I think you know what you're going to say. Totally different accent. Yeah, yeah. There's um one of the master classes he does. <laughs> he adopts this really weird accent like halfway through. It's so <laughs> strange. I don't get it. And... I don't know if it's conscious on his part, if he realizes he's doing it, but it is super noticeable to me. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. No, truthfully, I absorb um, a great deal of uh, Europe in, in music that, um, that I heard as a, uh, growing up um, in art, in architecture, um, in culture. Um, there's a great deal of European influence in my life, but I'm also very much an American. Um, in, in, in some ways, I'm very typical. I'm all mixed up. My, my father is German, um, my mother was English, and then there were some Russians back in there. And um... You know, somebody uh, on, on a YouTube comment, was, was they were talking about it, and somebody said it probably comes from, you know, from being an artist, and, you know, you're kind of absorbing what's going on around you, and it's, it's kind of coming back out. And not only is he in a different country, but he's also yeah. at a college, you know, and he didn't go to college, so you, you kind of think that he's stepping into the role a little, you know, between that and probably yeah. hearing all these accents coming at him. 
you know. Yep. Speaking a little yeah. different. No, but yeah, there point. is like that sort of yeah, almost like the old transatlantic uh accent from like what was it, like the early nineteen hundreds and they were trying to push that and you would hear it in the movies and stuff. Oh right. Like sort yeah. of aristocratic kind of accent. I completely forgot about that. That's a that's a great observation. So after the Larry King live appearance, I actually saw him again um, just about 11 days later. So I saw him again at the Palace of Auburn Hills on March 21st. Mm-hmm. Looking back at the tour dates, it's interesting. I think it may have just been a scheduling thing with the Palace because he played two sold out shows in January and then came back for a few more shows just three months later. Right. Which he typically didn't do. Yeah. So, yeah, it was and within such a short period, just three months apart. And I think maybe part of it was, you know, a lot of the tour was already laid out for the first couple of months. Mm-hmm. And the arena he was playing is where the Detroit Pistons played. So then you're also working around basketball game schedules and things like that. So yeah. maybe they just figured out a time to where he could reroute back through Michigan in a couple of months and far enough away from the original shows that they could still sell it out. And they did. Right. You know, it's interesting when it's a, when it's an artist like Billy who plays it pretty, you know, relatively close to the album, you know, he's not the dead, he's not fish, you know, you don't yep. go three nights in a row and get three different shows, but yeah, he right. can play three, four nights. Well, I mean, now he plays once a month, but yeah, it's, it's, it's notable that he can pull off those, those dates like that. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And looking, I'm not going to go through this whole set list again because it's pretty similar to the, the other two we saw. The noticeable difference I'm seeing is uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which he, you know, after just after they announced the Elton John tour, yeah, he started putting this in his set. And I think if memory serves, he this may have been the spot where he was pretty much telling the audience about the tour coming up. I would imagine, yeah, because that, that, you know, it's coming on the heels of the Larry King interview. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Let me, uh, having not seen him do that, uh, did Crystal take the high notes on that or did, did he take a crack at it? Because that's a high song. It is a high song. You know, I'll have to go back and listen to it as well. I don't want to misspeak. I feel like he may have been doing a bit of falsetto, but I'm pretty positive Crystal was in there too. Because that, that whole song is, man, I, yeah, it goes really up there. It's up there. Yeah. So, just not too long after that, you have the, I think the final single from the River of Dreams album was released. And you had Lullaby, which was released in April. It's peaked at 27 on the Canadian singles charts. New Zealand singles charts, it was number 43. The Billboard Hot 100, it peaked at number 12. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. Billboard Hot Adult Contemporary tracks number 18, It's it looks like, mm-hmm. according to Wikipedia. That one came to prominence before it was a single. You know, that was that was definitely yeah. a set piece of the album and that uh people talked about that a lot in the press and 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 as the album came out well before they they pushed it too. Not a typical song that would have gotten released as a single, so that was I thought a a bold choice. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard it on the radio to be honest with you, but it was it's funny it's just one that everyone knows though. I guess And there was one more single that was actually released this year as well. Um, not from the album, though. Uh, it was a live version of a, of a Hard Day's Night. It was released as a single in Australia and peaked huh. at number 85. So the reason this came to be is I think Australia and Japan, they released a box set called uh, Voyage on the River of Dreams. Right. And it was, I believe, a three CD set. So it had the River of Dreams album. It had a live from the River of Dreams CD of a maybe a half dozen songs or something like that from the tour. Yeah. And then the third disc was a Q&A, uh, one of the Q&A shows. Mm-hmm. And so the Hard Day's Night version, I think, might have been from that second disc. It ended up getting put out as a single as a result. Yeah. Looks like this one may have been... I'm trying to see when it was recorded. Because now I'm wondering if it was if it's if it was possibly the the show I was at. Surprisingly, there's been quite a few shows recorded and that have been out there in the tape trading world from '94. Mm-hmm. Um, but miraculously, nothing from any of these Michigan shows that I went to. I, I would have loved to hear them for this, you know, for the second time because I've never heard any recordings of these shows. So it would have, I'd be curious as to see if like my memory of it lines up with the reality of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, like I said, man, I just—I can't remember. I don't remember hearing these songs, and I would—I—I I must have gone nuts for them because they were some of my favorites. But so going up to June, June eighteenth is a 
was a show in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, and what is notable about this is that this was filmed, and I think it was on German television for a special or a show, but... Mm-hmm. Um, this concert, or at least 14 songs from the show, got released on DVD twice in the U.S. It was released as the DVD uh, in the My Lives box set back in 2005. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, Walmart had a like a deluxe edition of the All My Life single. Uh-huh. So it was called All My Life and More. Um, so it was the single, three live songs, and then this same DVD as a bonus. So this was... Um, a good snapshot of the River of Dreams tour in the summer of 94. And by all accounts, I've heard that this show, it was so incredibly hot in the venue. <laughs> and if you watch this show, everyone is trying to stay cool. Like Billy lost the sport jacket super early on. <laughs> Literally his sleeves are rolled up and he looks like he's got a tank top on. I mean, and they're just dripping throughout the whole show. Yeah. That's, that's pretty funny. I got, I'm going to have to look that one up too now. <laughs> and what started happening around the, the first couple of months of 94, it's a visual thing, but Billy shaved his beard. You know, when River of Dreams came out is when he finally started having like the beard and goatee thing going on, which is what he still has to this day, still has a goatee. But at some point in 94, he went back to being clean shaven again. But he looked like he looked a little more like in the Stormfront era for some reason through not through the rest of 94. And then the goatee and everything came back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because um, when you, you know, if you see footage of him, especially in the 80s, you know, he's always clean shaven in concert. He's always clean shaven on album covers. And then any yep. t- almost any other time he's got he's got a uh, he's got a beard going, so like you know, um, you know like we talked about live from Long Island recently, uh, you know he's you know clean shaven got the blazer on, and then if you yep. find the um, the promo video for that which they sent out to to video stores, he's yeah. got a leather jacket, his hair is tossled, and he's and he's got the beard going. Yeah, so yeah, it was always right. funny that that kind of two sides to Billy. He kind of looks like the back of the Nylon Curtain album. Yeah, that yeah, okay, yeah, that would be I guess you know what I mean? the time you had um a beard going on an album cover. Yep. Yeah, I mean you had a mustache for Cold Spring Harbor, but that was it. And I do remember like SNL in 77 he had like the beard going on a bit. Oh, um, did he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But typically he was pretty clean shaven. Those are the only times I can even recall in like 25 years, you know. So Man. after the UK tour in Europe and everything wrapped up, this is when the face-to-face tour right. kicked off in the States. So this was a 22-date tour mm-hmm. in the U.S. that kicked off with a show that you were at, right? Right, right. Now, I'm looking at it. He did three dates, um, but piecing together what I remember, I was at the first one because I remember uh, reading about it like that week and knowing I was you know, going to see the first show and things like that. Yeah. Uh, before I get to that, there were a lot of... Uh, a lot of double, uh, you know, a lot of like kind of three or four night stands. So yeah, he did three nights in um, in Philly, a Veterans Stadium, eighth, ninth, and twelfth. Yep. Uh, two in Massachusetts. One, two, three, four, five shows at Giant Stadium at the end of July. Wow. Uh, yeah, and then after that, he just kind of hit a couple spots. But um, did Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh twice, but he did it at the beginning and the end of August. Oh, must interesting. Must have been a routing thing. Yeah. Um, Veterans Stadium was uh, I saw a couple shows there I've seen shows at Citizens Bank Park um, You know, it's ball field now I've actually set up the floor On Citizens Bank Park for Springsteen Which was pretty interesting I was oh, that's uh, working cool. part time Like overnight Putting down the flooring um, Piece by piece uh, right yep. next to this. I put my coffee on the stage I made such a point of it I just like walked by the stage like, Two days before the boss got there Sip my coffee. I looked around like, eh, clank. <laughs> I just put it on the stage just to That's do it. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, Citizens Bank Park is fun, but man, this, uh, being on the floor of this of uh, a veteran stadium was like you felt like you were at Woodstock, man. That was like uh, you know, a couple. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Dave Matthews Band there a couple years later. Um, same thing, but uh, yeah, this was this was a fantastic show. Um, it was, ex- it was definitely exciting. So let's see. Real quick, we'll run the set list here. Billy and Elton come out together. They do your song, Honesty, and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Um, it was really cool. I remember why, you know, they had the two pianos there because we hadn't seen this go down before. We didn't know what this was going to look like. Yeah, this is brand new. And this was pre-internet days, so things didn't leak. 
<laughs> right, right, right. You didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Go. You had to rely on the newspaper or you know whatever you got. Maybe ten seconds of footage on the news. Exactly. Um, your song, honesty, and don't let the sun go down on me together. And you know, I'm real sorry, man. I, I should have done some more research going into this one, but. Um, if memory serves, because it's on the damn internet too, if memory serves, they pretty much did them almost as a medley, if not completely as a medley. Like they, okay. they just kind of yeah. flawlessly, you know, they would trade off verses with each other. And I just yes. remember that just going down like as like one big thing. You know, you didn't get the yeah. sense that there were breaks between the songs. Okay, um, yeah. And then for Elton said, he does Philadelphia Freedom, Take Me to the Pilot, Leave On, Rocket Man, Simple Life. That was a relatively new one because that was off the one, and then he does the yeah, one. The one. <laughs> then he covers New York State of Mind. Yep. Does funeral for a friend. Now, let me tell you what happens during funeral for a friend. Okay, first of all, all right. I forget who the percussionist is, but I, I I swear he was with Billy too right before that. Bald hey, uh, dude with the guy for Elton John. Yeah, yeah. Ray Cooper. Ray Cooper. Yeah, I think he played with Billy too because I know I had seen him. If not in person, um, then like on TV or something, which doesn't make sense because obviously he was with Crystal. But yeah, yeah, that was him. Yeah, he was he was he was a funny dude. He had some stuff going on. This show was so hot, it was just it was boiling out to the point where they were and they had to put it on the radio. You can bring one in parentheses the number one, you know, uh-huh. um, water bottle. They would let you bring a water bottle in, which was like unheard of. You know, like, yeah, oh, yeah, they would never let you do that. I tried to do that years later when I saw Dave Matthews and I lost my water bottle because they were like, You can't bring that in. I'm like, I brought it in for Billy and Elton. They're like, We don't care, you know, <laughs> right? But yeah, yeah. it's 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 sweltering, and they start this song, and and Ray Cooper is just kind of looking at his gong and he's holding up the mallet, like, eh, because eh, th- this gong was gargantuan, like, you could oh, see, yeah, it. I was on the floor, a gust of wind comes right at the beginning just as those opening notes hit and the crowd just collectively goes <sighs> like it just almost as it was with the album that really? one cool wind just just seeped all the way through this just swoop down wow. I don't know if I've ever seen a moment in concert that perfect like it was just just everybody, because what what did he do right before it? Yeah, he did New York State because it was yeah. I guess not that anything was tense, but you know, just he really brought it down anyway. And just that that I'll never forget that. Just the way that wind just just came in and just like set the tone, you know. And then he built it right back up. And that was one of my favorites too. Funeral for a friend. So that was really oh, amazing. that's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, and then so the rest of his was I guess that's why they call it the blues. Can you feel the love tonight? Pinball wizard. Damn shame I was not into the Who yet, so I didn't know that one. And Saturday yeah. night's all right for fighting. Uh, Billy Joe comes out. I go to extremes. Pressure. Ballad of Billy the yep. Kid. Uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. So there it is. Um, yep. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. My life. Allentown. Lullaby. River of Dreams. We didn't start the fire. It's still rock and roll to me. Only the good die young. Big shot. And then. Billy and Elton, they do Bitches Back, You May Be Right, Benny and the Jets, Hard Day's Night, Lucille by <laughs> Little Richard, Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis, and Piano Man. Man, I can't I can't believe I can't remember so much of that. Wow. It was a great time. I, I don't remember so much. Oh, man, I'm going to have to rewatch this now. Um, I do remember, and I'm going to look this up real quick. I have to skip yeah. to it. But, you know, Elton, Elton does a wardrobe change in the middle of this. <laughs> And he comes out with this sparkling, and it. Now I, I'm going to say that this was probably not planned because it was like the first uh, show of the tour. Comes out in this sparkling outfit, like just sequined up, and you know. Oh yeah. And Billy just goes, Elton, what the hell are you wearing? <laughs> I'm actually looking at mine, and I'll get into mine a bit later. But set is exactly the same except for one song. Uh huh. Right before Piano Man, we got um, Candle in the Wind. Ooh. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, yeah, that was a treat. You know, as a, as a, as a side note, uh, Michael and I were just talking about it. everybody's quarantined and bored, and somehow we're like busier than ever. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Just because no I'm joke. like, I wish I had uh, had researched this more. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I'm just at my desk like ten to twelve hours a day anymore. <laughs> like, just try, you know, doing something between work and anything else. But at any rate, yeah, that those are my memories from that show. It was a great show. 
so yeah, so my show was August 18th at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, super similar set list to yours. Uh, now this was a football stadium where the Detroit Lions played and it was an indoor dome stadium, which notoriously sounded terrible for shows. Hmm. Very boomy, just sound bouncing around everywhere. And it's a big stadium, too. I think it held like 80,000 people. Pretty huge. Yeah. The only other show I saw there was Metallica doing New Year's Eve in uh, 1999. Both shows, I remember, being pretty boomy sound-wise. This show in particular actually got postponed. It was originally supposed to be in July. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, but Billy ended up getting sick on the day of the show. And so they canceled, or postponed the show, rather, uh, that afternoon. Wow. Yeah. And now keep in mind, this is only a like a 22 date tour so you had people traveling in from all over the place this was before the days of the internet and social media where you'd find out something super quick yeah like you know <laughs> if billy had to postpone a show it would get announced on facebook twitter instagram everywhere immediately you get you get push well, notifications on your phone yeah exactly exactly <laughs> here no you found out by rolling up to the venue ready to go to the show and find out that it's postponed. I think the local news ran it like at five o'clock that day, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. So I remember, you know, even though I knew that the show was going to happen, but like I was so pumped and so excited for the show. And then just to find out that it wasn't happening that day. Right. I just remember being so bummed about it, Um, but the show, you know, that ended up happening was, was so much fun. Um, just to see all those songs in one set list where it's just, I mean, you're talking probably close to 35 songs in a set here. And it was just a really, really, really fun show. Um, mm-hmm. And I caught it. This show I caught was actually near the end of the tour because um, they wrapped up the face-to-face tour August 21st in Orlando at the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, I want to actually talk about one little story I remember hearing about this tour. I couldn't find where on the tour this happened. But at some stop on this tour, Liberty got food poisoning before the show. And so I think the show may have already started or something along those lines. He got food poisoning and couldn't play the show. So Elton John's drummer at the time, Charlie Morgan, had to step up with like zero notice and fill in for Liberty and play Billy's set. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if that... Talk about nerve wracking. Yeah, really. And especially because, you know, at that point... Backing up real quick to my to my show, um, you know, uh, or the uh, River of Dreams tour show I saw, Liberty was was the holdover, was the last one from the uh, from the classic Lords lineup. And I remember right. somebody saying, "That's Liberty. He's been with them the longest." You know, like people knew who Liberty was. Man, that was that he was, was a, a fixture. I remember either Liberty telling me or Charlie. I got to know Charlie actually a little through Liberty, uh-huh. or there may have been an article at the time about it. I some somehow I found it, found this out. That's crazy. I gotta, I gotta we gotta find a copy of that. That's gotta be out there. Oh, it's got yeah. I hope so. It'd be really interesting to hear. Uh, Charlie's a great drummer. He played with Elton in the uh, in the eighties and a good chunk of the nineties, I think, and before Elton returned to working with uh, Nigel Olsen again. But yeah. uh, fantastic drummer. But uh, yeah, gosh, I can't imagine to have to go like with no notice to go out, have to play these songs in front of sixty thousand people that you. You know, that you kind of know, but you yeah. don't know them inside out. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you get tripped up. I mean, how many verses go by, stops in the song, stuff like that. I right. Mean, uh, oh, yeah. I wonder if you did Billy the Kid that night. Like, that might have gotten cut. <laughs> that and, like, Yeah, Crowley, maybe. You know? They may have taken a few things like that out for, for this kind of situation, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's crazy. So the 90s were a time where Billy started to do quite a bit more of his Q&A, you know, an evening of questions and answers and a little music at a lot of these colleges uh, around the U.S. And mm-hmm. I think some he did in Europe as well, you know, and this kind of, I think, tells you kind of where he's at again, where he's at this stage in his life and his career where he wants to impart what he's learned to yeah. the next generation. And he was very specific about that. I don't know if the one I, I saw on online was uh, from 94 but he he explains exactly why so when i was a kid i wrote to the beatles how do you write these songs how do you do this and you know i wait a couple months and i get back if you'd like to join the beatles fan club send two dollars to here so you know he wanted to make sure that that he was more accessible and that yeah that he could share that he would share that information with anybody that wanted to hear it Absolutely. And not only from a musical standpoint of like writing songs and albums and all this, but yeah. the business side, you know, Billy has gotten taken advantage of 
very often, several right. times in his career, and he's made mistakes and I'm sure done some things he's regretted. So, you know, he really, I think, wanted the younger up and coming musical generation to learn the good and the bad and what, you know, what he's done over the year and how to avoid some of the pitfalls and how to help them along the way, which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, and when you, it, they are just, they're really amazing just to hear them and, and be so frank about everything and just go into it and, uh, um, and really when he sits and plays it at the piano and talks you through it, even not as a piano player, it's, it's so great to hear and, and uh, just see yeah. how it comes about. There's one clip I think we're going to play now uh, that caught my ear of some of these that I was listening to. Um, he usually has a piano on stage and he'll illustrate a couple things. But this one he did at Harvard in October of 94. Um, he had a guitar with him as well. And he actually goes through here and talks about and plays a little bit of the entertainer uh, just with him and an acoustic guitar. Yeah. So let's check that out a little bit. So I'm watching the Midnight Special. And I'm seeing band after band come on. It was like an assembly line. And I started coming up with this idea for a song, <clears throat> which I'm going to sing very badly right now. Uh, this, this was after Piano Man. Now, I had kind of a modest hit with Piano Man. And then I come out with this song called The Entertainer. And I'll explain what happened afterwards. I am the entertainer I know just where I stand Another serenader Another long-haired band Today I am your champion I may have won your hearts But I know the game You're forgetting my name I won't be here in another year If I don't stay on the charts I am the entertainer I've had to pay my price the things that did not Yeah, that is it's very out of uh character for him, enjoyable, but you could tell it's 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 not the usual clip you find. Right. Yeah, that's why I, I think this was the one I wanted to talk about because it was mm -hmm. so out of the norm. I was used to him illustrating things on the piano, so to him see him play guitar a little bit just was was surprising and kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. So this interview here in November that I found when Billy was on tour in Australia, he was in Melbourne at the time. Um, Billy talked a bit about being done doing the big marathon tours like we had talked about. So he addresses mm -hmm. that a bit here. But one thing that really caught my ear on this interview was that Billy actually talks about the next album. He talked about on River of Dreams experimenting with using a different rhythm section. Mm hmm. And, and it was, you know, gave interesting results. But he says here that he's probably going to go back to using his band on the next album. Now, as we all know now, the yeah. next album never came to be. But I thought it interesting. This was one of the only instances I could find where Billy is actually talking about a follow-up album to River of Dreams. On the River of Dreams, I did use uh, different musicians, uh, a different, different rhythm section. Uh, although Tommy Burns, who was my guitar player, did play on the album, and Crystal Talifero, who is our multi-instrumentalist, uh, did play on the album too. Uh, it was, to, you know, I tried to do something with a different rhythm section, but I'll probably go back to using my old band again on the next record. Wow, yeah, yeah, that is very. Uh, that's a that's like a rare clip. Um, that and having at least liberty, if if not, who knows who else playing on it again. So I'm, you know, and it just got me thinking is like, wow, you know, what would a Billy Joel original album in the mid late nineties sound like, you know, cause we never, we never got anything past river of dreams. I wonder, you know, what it would have sounded like then. There are no demos or anything like not even on my lives or anything. Right. I don't know. That was, that was it. No, yeah. Nothing past river of dreams. Yeah. Wow. That's the kind of thing that keep you up at night. Right. <laughs> you know, know, just really knowing that like, thinking, I'm like, wow. So at some point he thought about it. Yeah. And he thought it to the point where he was deciding to likely go back to using his band, which I thought was like super fascinating. Right. Yeah, at least Liberty. Um I mean River of Dreams was ninety three. You know, the the watershed for the nineties, of course, was Nevermind by Nirvana, and that was September of ninety one. Yep. So, you know, it was taking hold, but I get you know, the the shift I guess maybe wasn't complete by ninety three. Although it was yeah. definitely getting there, so it, yeah, could you imagine? You know, what would Billy have have put out in the you know in the in the middle of the grunge era? You know, right. and 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 that would have been you know, uh, I don't know when it's going to come out now, but you know, I talked about my theory 
where the guys in the 70s got lost in the 90s and the guys right. in the 60s got lost in the 80s. If you watch all these bands, they do like 20 solid years. And then that third decade, or tw- yeah, yeah, and then that third decade, they kind of lost. And then they, they kind of, a couple of them have rebounded in the fourth decade. So Springsteen and Billy, you know, in the 90s were really lost. But yeah, imagine what he would have done, you know, like trying to, because that's like the first, it's the first point where you're, you're, you're out of touch now, you know, you're out of a demographic yourself. You know, you're right. definitely not a kid anymore. You know, if you came up in the 70s, I guess, you know, in the 80s, there was that big push. Who did they talk about? I forget which band, but they they made a note. That, uh, some review on All Music was talking about, in particular, people like Eric Clapton and Phil Collins, who yeah. very consciously became adults, became people in their 30s with their music, you know gone right. with the psychedelic stuff the prog stuff and you know the long solos and the long songs you know they, they Steve Winwood I would put in there too you know gave us high love agree. and stuff like that yep. um, you know so they all they all still grew up together you know they, they did this shift and they weren't kids anymore in the 70s really makes you wonder what, what Billy would have done by the tail end of the 90s in that time when grunge and alternative was really what was selling and what was popular. It yeah. makes me think of a band totally different, but Def Leppard, who was had that signature pop metal with big guitars, big hooks, layered harmonies, and big production. Yeah. That was their sound going into the 90s. And when they came back to do an album in 96 called Slang, they mm-hmm. stripped all of that away and made like an incredible organic sounding record acoustic drums not the huge vocals just much more stripped down and some fantastic songs that really got lost in the shuffle because of when it came out yeah but they decided to make a totally different record um so much so that like they even for that album abandoned the classic Def Leppard logo it's not huh. it's nowhere to be found wow you know it's funny I was thinking too that in a way is like sort of what Billy did with this, with with River of Dreams, which he was touring behind now, where all the all the the albums looked different, he certainly never had a logo or anything. But the yeah, the River of Dreams cover was so different, you know, just had it was. that like really handwritten look. Obviously, was painted by Christie, and yeah, that's a good observation. So the um, the River of Dreams tour wrapped up uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, the last show of the year was uh, December 17th at um, Western Springs Stadium in Auckland, New Zealand. So he wrapped up that year with um, Australia and New Zealand and did a handful of dates in early 95 as the River of Dreams tour started to wind down as well. So, you know, we said at the top of this episode how it was a bit of the end of an era for Billy. And, we, you know, we certainly uh, just got into the fact that there was this slight sliver of a hint of another album that clearly never even began, you know, never even like hit like a pre-production phase. And obviously he's gone on to do plenty of touring and a few releases since then. But interestingly, um, you know, uh, the industry uh, also sort of managed to mark um, 1994 for Billy. Two more things happened this year. Uh, the first was he was presented with uh, the Billboard Century Award, which wow. uh, from what I can tell was a, a relatively short-lived award at least by that name uh, it was awarded for outstanding chart performance uh he was the third uh recipient and this ran from 1992 through 2006 so uh just a quick rundown because it's not too many uh george harrison buddy guy and then billy uh yeah. joni mitchell santana carlos santana chet atkins james taylor emmy lou harris randy newman john mellencamp annie lennox sting stevie wonder Tom Petty and then Tony Bennett in 2006. That's uh, some the, good company right there. Yeah, really. I mean, that that, that just wow. really cements him in a place. And then the RIAA certified uh, Songs in the Attic and the, the Nylon Curtain for sales of 2 million units each. So wow. at that point, so coming out of 1994, and this is interesting because he completes the tour for his 12th album. Well after that, when asked... You know why you want to do any more albums? He would sort of offhandedly say, "Well, the Beatles put out twelve albums. I put out twelve albums. It sounds like a good number." With these two certifications, that put him into a tie with the Beatles as the act with the most multi-platinum albums. No kidding. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. So that's how Billy wrapped up 1994. And I find it kind of wild too that those two albums it took that long to get double platinum status because i know the stranger 52nd street glass houses and an innocent man all of those sold huge numbers Mm -hmm. um the nylon curtain especially had two big hits and 
you know, having it take what what's that eight years to sell two yeah. million copies that was actually a bit of a surprise well i mean i guess you know the nylon curtain was uh you know your classic critical success commercial not failure but uh you know yeah. most of billy's albums were did commercially great um but the yeah. critics kind of panned them and this one was the one that was um notoriously the opposite and of Very course so, yeah and of course songs in the attic was a live album and i think those tend not to do as well that's a whole different animal yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly but yeah, they both hit it the same year. That's wild, huh? That's a that's a <laughs> nice factoid. I didn't even realize. Yeah. So this was a fun one. We we thought it'd be fun to to dive into a couple of years like this. And as we've started digging into it, we found that non-album years there's a lot going on. And so it's really fun to dive through 1994 here and just kind of go through the calendar and go into all the fun things that happened throughout the year. And 1994 was a big year and it really was a bookend to his uh, recording career and touring career. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to hear from everyone out there now. Um, I wonder if this is a big year for other people to see Billy with the face to face and the river of dreams tours uh, happening in the same year. So uh, let us know where you saw him. Let us know what you loved about the set list. Let us know what surprises were out there. Um, yeah, pl- yeah, please do. It. And you can do that. Uh, we're on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. And you can write us at glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. So there's plenty of ways to get a hold of us. And uh, you guys have been so amazing with uh, your emails and comments and things like that so far. And it's been a real treat to connect with a lot of you. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's a, it's a treat uh, going on Facebook whenever we put out an announcement, just, just seeing those, uh, those likes and those comments and those shares rack up. It's... Uh, it's like Christmas every other week here now, you know. <laughs> it really is. It's 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 exciting, you know, because we're we're kind of in our own little world when we're uh, you know we're skyping and talking yeah. through this stuff, and we're so glad that we found this community of uh, other fans that you know really are into it, and you know it's it's helping jog some of your memories or even you know learning a, a thing or two every episode that you may not have been aware of, and so it, it's it's been really really great to to see your you know how you guys have reacted and how you've. Uh, responded to things so uh you make this really fun for the two of us to do this and you know we've got a lot more to go so um you know we're glad you're on for the ride yeah we're, we're happy you're enjoying it as much as we are 